0: might begin this morning with a statement that the Lord made about himself as found in Isaiah chapter 66 in verse 1. Thus saith the Lord, the heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Wherein then is the house that you would build me and my rest in the place of my rest. Here we find that God establishes a very important connection between heaven and earth. We find this is Uh, Something that we find frequently in the scriptures, in the word of God. But God here says, the heaven, not just in heaven is my throne, but the heaven itself is my throne. The entirety of heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Now, sometimes people ask me, I want to start reading the Bible, and where is the uh, best place for me to start? I've always thought the best place to start anything is in the beginning. And so Genesis 1 and 1, I think, is a good place to start reading the Bible. And here we find where it says, In the beginning God created the heaven and the earth. I've said many times, uh, in some ways this is perhaps the most important verse of the Bible. Because if you believe that, by faith, believe that God created the heaven and the earth, you shouldn't have any problem believing anything else recorded in the scriptures if you don't believe that, then why would you believe anything else recorded in the scriptures? We believe in a created universe. We believe in the created heavens, the created earth. We believe in a creator God. We believe that we exist because we were created. God created Adam from the dust of the earth. Caused a deep sleep to come upon him, took a rib from his side. And there he created the woman and made the woman and brought her to the man. And then Adam said, For this cause shall a man leave his father and mother, shall cleave in his wife, and these twain shall become one flesh. They find that God gave them a commandment and said, You are to be fruitful, multiply, or multiply and be fruitful upon the earth. And man has certainly done that. Uh, We believe we're Adam multiplied in that regard. So here in Genesis 1-1, in the beginning God, and the word for God is Elohim, which means uh, plurality. So, God is speaking here as God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. And then he follows with the following verses in Genesis chapter 1 to tell you what he created on each and every single day, you see. So, here the Lord says in Isaiah 66:1, The heaven is my throne, and the earth is my footstool. Now, what kind of picture do you have in your mind about that? If one is sitting upon a throne, that means he's a ruler. One that sits upon the throne has power. One that sits upon the throne has authority. And nobody can rule like God. And no one has the power that God has. No one has the authority that God has. And then this earth here, as he looks down, this earth is his footstool. It's that which he rests his feet upon. If you're at home and you have a, your your chair that you like to sit on, uh, sit in, and and you have a footstool perhaps in front of you. So we see the connection that Isaiah presents us here with this. Now, this shows how immense God is. The heaven is my throne. Just not that my throne is in heaven, but the heaven itself is my throne. We look in the book of 1 Kings chapter 8. We read where Solomon has been set aside by God to build the temple. And he's been blessed in God to build the temple. And then there's a dedication of the temple. And we find where Solomon spreads his hands toward heaven and begins to bless the God of heaven who blessed him to build this temple which will be the place of worship in the city of Jerusalem that God chose where and he chose that city to put his name there and we find Solomon starts off like this he spread his hands toward heaven and he says "Thou art the Lord of heaven and also of earth that's how he started this dedication prayer And in verse 27, he's going to ask a question. Will God indeed dwell upon the earth? God, he says, uh, this house or the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, lest this house that I have built for thee. Now, Solomon understood what I'm just saying. He said, the heaven and heavens cannot contain thee, then how in the world can this house that I have built thee, the temple here, how it can contain thee? Solomon understood that God did not dwell in tabernacles made with hands that God himself is everywhere present, he's nowhere absent. He has divine attributes that will not allow him to be confined. Now there are times that God did condescend uh, miraculously as he did in the tabernacle and temple when he would come down from heaven and rest upon the mercy seat that covered the Ark of the Covenant. He would come and meet with the high priest once a year when he'd bring the blood of the slain offering there and when he'd sprinkle upon that mercy seat seven times in obedience to God, God would condescend and come and meet with him there. God condescended one time on top of a mountain called Mount Sinai, and he met with Moses and gave Moses instructions concerning the laws of God, the moral law, the Ten Commandments, the civil law to govern them, and also the ceremonial law, in which way they were to worship him. And he gave him the instructions to build the tabernacle on top of that mountain. God condescended and came down and dwelt on that mountain. In a very uh, you know, uh, miraculous way that only God could do, God did that. And then, of course, we find the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the second person of the Godhead. John 1.14 says the Word, that's capital W-O-R-D, the second person. The Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory as the glory of the only begotten of the Father. Now, Jesus Christ condescended from heaven, didn't he? He came down from heaven and took upon himself a body of flesh and blood, just like you and I, except with no sin. He lived here for about 33 and a half years. We see him as the Son of God and also the Son of Man. But in general, what Solomon's saying here is a great truth. He says, the heaven of heavens cannot contain thee, how much less this house that I've built for thee? Now, he did build a house according to God's instructions. It was to be the house that would represent him and his name in divine worship in that particular day. Now, we go back to 1 Kings chapter 8. You will find where Solomon continues in his blessing or prayer to God at the dedication. And seven different times he will say, O Lord, Hear thou in heaven. He's recognizing God is in heaven and he's, his throne is in heaven. And he asked God to hear in heaven seven different times. And you read the circumstances prior to each statement to see what's under consideration. But, O oh Lord, hear thou in heaven. I'm glad that the connection between heaven and earth is such that we have a God who will hear us. Now, in some ways, it seems like heaven's far far too far away, in a sense. But on the other sense, heaven is very nearby. You know, God's in heaven today. We look in 1 John 5 and 7 and 8. And John says, for there are three that bear record in heaven. There's the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost. And these three are one. And there are three that agree on earth. I want you to notice this morning the connections that hope the Lord the blessed me to present between heaven and earth and the significance of it and the importance of it. He says there are three that bear record in heaven, the Father, the Word, and the Holy Ghost, and these three are one, showing the unity and the harmony of the three in one Godhead, the Trinity. Then he says, there's three that bear witness on the earth. And what is that? The Spirit, and the, fle- uh, the water, and the blood. And these three agree in one. When the Lord Jesus Christ was baptized, heaven opened up, a voice rang out, saying, This is my beloved Son, hear ye him." And the Spirit of God came down from heaven and settled upon the Lord Jesus Christ, and which was, of course, the Spirit of God, and it came down in a bodily form in the shape of a dove again. You have God the Father speaking, God the Son being baptized, and the God the Holy Spirit all together there in harmony. And you find the Lord Jesus Christ was, in his humanity, was flesh and blood. And when the Lord Jesus Christ was crucified, they took a sword and they pierced his side. And out came forth what? Blood and water. Yes, there's the spirit and there's the uh, water and there's the blood. These all three agree in one, displaying before us the true humanity of the Lord Jesus Christ. And yet a sinless man, the only sinless man to live here upon the face of this earth. So God is in heaven, the throne is his heaven, and the earth here is his footstool. Now in the book of Genesis chapter 14, you'll find where Abraham's been blessed of God to take 300 of his trained men, and he goes out and does battle against the kings of that day who had taken Lot and his family and their possessions. And the Lord's going to bless him to rescue Lot and his family and his possessions, And bring them back. And on the way back he's met by a man or person by the name of Melchizedek. Melchizedek was the king of Salem. Salem means peace. He was also the king of righteousness. This points us to the Lord Jesus Christ. Without mother, without father it says. pointing us again to the Lord Jesus Christ. As a son of God Jesus had no mother. His father of course is God the father. And on earth as a son of man he had a mother but he didn't have a father. That is a biological father. Now Joseph was his uh, official legal father, but he wasn't his biological father. So Melchizedek was out mother without father, and he approaches, um, he approaches Abraham, and he says to Abraham, blessed be uh, the God of Abraham, he says the most high, the possessor of heaven and earth. Here we notice that Melchizedek refers to God as the possessor of heaven and earth. That means everything in heaven and everything on this earth belongs to God. There's not one thing that does not belong to God. Now you may have title to your car, title to your house, title to your land. You may have uh, things that you bought, uh, your stuff, you know. (laughs) We all have stuff that gets in the way oftentimes. That's why I think uh, Joseph told his father Jacob when he was coming down to Egypt, leave your stuff behind, leave your stuff there. Everything will be taken care of and provided for you here. You might say, well, that's all mine. Well, if the Lord hadn't given you life, you wouldn't have it. If the Lord hadn't blessed you with the gift and talent you have, and the job you have, the occupation you have, you wouldn't have it. And everything you have has been made by something God has created, it still belongs to God. He's just letting you bark during your earthly journey. That's what it boils down to. He is the possessor of heaven and earth. Everything belongs to him. I like uh, the 50th Psalm. Verses ten through twelve. Here the Lord says, "You know, uh, the cattle upon a thousand hills is mine. All the fowls of the mountains and the wild beasts of the earth, they're all mine." He says, "If I was hungry, I wouldn't tell you. <laughs> Why would God tell us if He was hungry? Of course, God wasn't hungry. He's just giving us this illustration. If I was hungry, He says, I wouldn't tell you. Uh, everything on the earth is mine." The fowls of the, of, the, of the mountains, the wild beasts of the earth, the cattle upon a thousand hills, it all belongs to the Lord. If you found 1,000 cattle and added one to it, that would belong to the Lord too. He's just giving you, a, you know an illustration here to get the point across. He said, For the earth and the fullness thereof belong to me. The earth and the fullness thereof are mine. He's the possessor of all that's in heaven, and he's the possessor of all that's upon this earth here. It all belongs to him. So we shouldn't get too attached to these things, right? Shouldn't get too attached. And then when Abraham responds, he responds in the same way. He responds back to Melchizedek. He says, well, blessed be the God, or the Most High, the possessor of heaven and earth. Abraham recognized that. And so the goods that he brought back didn't really belong to him. They belonged to God. And the next chapter opens up with God telling him, Behold, I am thy shield, and thy exceeding great reward. He was Abraham's shield when Abraham went out to battle for protection. And also he was his exceeding great reward. The things he brought back were nothing compared to what God would be to him in terms of his blessings upon him. So he's the possessor of heaven and also of earth. The Lord Jesus Christ prayed this prayer in Matthew eleven twenty-five. And if you will study the prayers of the Lord Jesus Christ that's been recorded for us, it would help you in your prayer life, help me in my prayer life, and would teach us much truth. And let's notice what the Lord says here. He says, I thank you, O God, Lord of heaven and Lord of earth. Now, the word Lord denotes ownership, so it's similar to being the possessor of things in heaven and earth. Everything, again, belongs to the Lord. Uh, he says here, I thank thee, O God. Now Jesus started his prayer off with a thank you. I thank you, O God. He's praying to the Father. I thank you, O God. He says, uh, Lord of heaven and Lord of the earth. He says, uh, I thank thee, O Father. I hast hid these things from the wise and prudent and hath revealed them unto babes. Now the Lord here is thanking his Father, thanking God who is Lord of heaven, Lord of earth, which means since he is the owner, he can do whatsoever he wants to do or desires to do or purposes to do. So what did he thank him for on this occasion here? He actually thanked him for hiding some things from the wise and the prudent of this world, but also for revealing some things that are revealed unto babes. When you go back to Isaiah chapter 66 and read the next verse, it says the Lord... I will look into that man as of a poor and contrite spirit who trembleth at my word. When Isaiah wrote this, you could hardly find anybody among the Israelites that felt to be poor and contrite and who trembleth at his word. When they made their offerings and sacrifices, their heart was not in it. That's why the Lord says in Matthew that, a little bit further on, He said, How I, I well did Isaiah the prophet prophesy of you? He said, You draw nigh to me with your lips, and uh, he says, and with your words, but your heart is far from me. Uh, the Lord not only heard the words of those, he saw their hearts. And it was very few that trembled at his words. Now if you want uh, the Lord to show you some things, then you need to fit that category. That you're poor and contrite. Contrite means that you're aware that you are a sinner, that you're weak and poor, and apart from God, that you're just Nothing. And we tremble at his word. In other words, we take his word seriously. We don't neglect his word. We take it seriously. We don't just brush off his word. We take it seriously. We don't just read something and say, well, okay, that was probably good in that day, but we live in another. No, uh, his word was given to us for all ages, you see. In fact, in the 24th chapter of Matthew, the Lord said, Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. There is coming a time when the created heaven and created world is going to pass away. Peter tells us this in 2 Peter chapter 3. He said, the day of the Lord shall be as a thief in the night. Now, it, it simply means that you don't know exactly what time this is going to happen, but it's going to happen. The day of the Lord is like a thief in the night. He says, the heavens themselves shall dissolve. The elements shall dissolve with fire. Uh, Heaven shall be destroyed with a great noise and the elements shall be dissolved uh, with fire. And it says the earth and and all things in the earth and all the works of the earth shall be burned up. That's what's going to happen at the end of time at the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. But while that may happen, his words will not be destroyed. His words will remain. Heaven and earth shall be destroyed, shall pass away, but my words shall not. Because God made a promise that's recorded back in Psalms 12, 6 and 7 that he would preserve his word. He said, The words of the Lord are pure words, as silver tried in the furnace of the earth, purified seven times. He says, Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. We believe in the divine inspiration of Scripture, and we believe in the divine preservation of Scripture, and we believe that the King James authorized translation it contains the preserved words of the Lord Jesus Christ today. Now, not to believe in preservation because of all the circumstances that happen in life and one thing and another is to limit the power of God. Say that God didn't have the power to do this. It also makes God uh, not a God of truth, but it makes God a liar. But God said, I will preserve my word from this generation forever. Now, the Lord's Church has the words of God today that was been inspired and also have been preserved, you see. Now, heaven and earth shall pass away, but my words shall not pass away. My word shall be preserved. Now he's the possessor of all things in heaven and earth. He's Lord of all things in heaven and also in earth. Now you come over here to the book of uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4. And God is speaking to Israel through Moses. And Moses tells them, he says, What God has spoken to you out of the fire and lived? Nobody. The nation of Israel was the only one who had that experience. He says, what nation has God taken from another nation and brought them out? He's talking about when they were down in the land of Egypt. And God went down there and took the nation of Israel that he had formed and created and brought them out of the the land of Egypt from under the power and authority of the Egyptians and brought them out dry shot across the Red Sea, did not lose a one, and then destroyed Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. He says, what other nations had this kind of experience? He says... Therefore, the Lord God, He is God in heaven above, (laughs) in earth beneath. And a few verses later, He says basically the same thing, but He adds this to it. He says, And there is none else. Now, this is Moses writing this, okay? And there is none else. Well, we've already seen that Solomon said the same thing. Solomon says, There is none else. Now, remember, in Israel's day, in the Old Testament day, all the other nations had their gods, they had their territorial gods, so to speak. But Israel the only one who had the true and living God. So we have Moses speaking about it. We have Solomon speaking about it. And then we come to Isaiah. If you read Isaiah chapter 44, 45, and 46, you will find repeated in those three chapters where he tells Israel through Isaiah, I am God, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. Therefore, declaring, I-N-G, declaring the end from the beginning, from ancient times, the things which are not yet done, saying, My counsel shall stand, and I'll do all my good pleasure. Compare the true and living God to all these other gods. You know, all these other gods they had had to be made by their own hands. Uh, they were the product of their creation, so to speak, had to be made with their own hands. They were lifeless. They had ears they couldn't hear, they had eyes they couldn't see, they had hands that couldn't handle, they had feet that couldn't move, couldn't walk. Um, had a nose that couldn't smell, a mouth that couldn't speak. I mean, they had the appearance, uh, you know, of a man, and that was it. And they had to be carried from one location to another. But the true and living God has an ear that can hear, and eyes that can see, and a mouth that can speak, and a nose that can smell, and hands that can handle, and feet that can walk. Now, he gives us this image of God so that we can relate to God. It's exactly what we are. We have eyes, we have ears, we have a nose, we have a mouth, we have hands, we have feet. So we can relate to that. But God has the hearing ear, and God has the seeing eye. His eyes run to and fro throughout the whole earth, keeping himself strong on behalf of those whose heart is perfect toward him. So we have Moses, we have Solomon, and then we have Isaiah saying, I am the Lord, there is none else. I am God, there is none like me. I'm the only one. There's no one you can compare to me. I'm the one who spoke again the world in existence and I'm the one who keeps the world that I spoke in existence. I'm the one who maintains it. I'm the one who keeps it. I don't know if people ever think about it or not but you know God never has had to replace the sun he created with another sun. He never has had to uh, replace the moon that he created with another moon. He never has had to you know replace anything that he created like that. It's still the same moon, same stars, same sun that the inhabitants of the earth have been looking at for 6,000 years. Adam looked at the same sun you see today. Adam saw that same sun. Eve saw the same sun. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Daniel, et cetera, the apostles, all of them that's ever lived on this earth have looked at the very same sun that you look at today. God has not had to replace any batteries. He hasn't had to replace anything about it. He created it until would last until the end of time, you see. Heaven and earth is used in this connection all the way through the Word of God. Let's take a look at some of the attributes of God connected with it. Let's take a look at Daniel chapter 4, verse 35. In Daniel 4 and 35, you've got a king named Nebuchadnezzar, king of the Babylonians. And God raised him up as a means of judgment against the nation of Israel. And God gave him power to conquer not only Israel, but also Egypt and other nations, and then later on, you're going to see where God judged Babylon and judged Nebuchadnezzar and brought judgment upon them. But on this occasion here, you're going to find where the king one day walks out. And Daniel already told him the vision he had, what the vision meant, and what he was going to do, and he did it anyway. And he walks out and looks at his kingdom, and he begins to boast about it. He said, look at this kingdom that I... And before we can get the words out of his mouth good, God took him off his throne. And he drove him from his throne out there into the fields, to the grass, and he began to graze grass like the beast of the fields. And his hair grew like bird feathers, his nail grew like bird claws. Now where was this boastful man just shortly before this? He was on his throne, he was, uh, uh, had his uh, lapel out like this, you know, he was admiring everything he owned, everything he possessed. But the God of heaven reminded him it all belonged to him. And the only reason he was king at that time was because God allowed him to be. So he's out there grazing grass like the wild beast, looking awful. And then he comes to his senses. And here's what he said. He said, all the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. He sees man for what man is, nothing. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing, no exception." But God works His will among the army of heaven, among all the inhabitants of the earth. And none can stay His hand or saith unto Him, What doest thou? you talking about theology. It is just, it is full in this verse. Man's depravity. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works His will. God has a will, and He works that will. You know, the Lord. Uh, taught his disciples to pray, I'll come back to this in just a moment, taught his disciples to pray in the Sermon on the Mount like this Matthew 6, he says when you pray, you pray in this manner, our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name, thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth as it is in heaven, notice how the Lord taught him in this prayer, the connection between heaven and earth, he said God's got a will in heaven and you need to pray that his will will be carried out here on this earth, now what's the difference I'm going to tell you this, God's will in heaven is carried out perfectly. There's not one thing about God's will in heaven that's not carried out perfectly. But God has a will for you and a will for me and a will for his people here in this earth. And it's up to us to be obedient to that will. And that doesn't always happen, does it? But our prayer should be this. Our Father which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. We should desire and pray that his will on earth would be like that which is done in heaven. In heaven it's perfect. In heaven it's carried out to a jot and to a tittle. All T's are crossed, all I's are dotted, you see. So we come back to Daniel 4.35. All the inhabitants of the earth are reputed as nothing. But God works his will. God has a will that he works. He works his will among the army of heaven. Now there's an army in heaven. That's the angels themselves. You remember when the Lord Jesus Christ was there in the garden of Gethsemane. And Peter drew out his sword to defend him, cut off the ear of the high, uh, servant of the high priest. And the Lord Jesus Christ rebuked him, told him to put up his sword. He that live by the sword shall die by the sword. And he took the ear of the servant of the high priest and put it right back on the side of his head and healed him immediately. That showed God's power and showed God's mercy and God's compassion. Jesus Christ displayed all three of those in that act right there. That servant of the high priest was Christ's enemy. But Christ healed him and and probably saved the neck of Peter, I'm sure. If he had not done that, they would have taken Peter, and Peter's life would probably have been gone. But because Christ acted immediately, rebuking Peter, taking the ear, putting it back there, healing him, showed his power and his compassion and his mercy on the servant of the high priest that came to apprehend him and take him. Here's what else Jesus said. He says, Think you not that I could call for 12 legions of angels right now and they be sent? A legion was about 6,000. So he says, I could call right now to my Father in heaven and he would dispatch his army. He would send 72,000 angels right now to deliver me out of your hands if I desired to do that. I can see them now, can't you? I can see those uh, angels. I think there's always on alert. God had sent them time and time again in times past to carry out his will, bring forth judgment, slay the enemies, etc. And I'm sure all they were waiting for was the green light. Uh, Just give us the green light, Lord. We'll take care of the situation. Just give us the green light. But God didn't give them the green light. That wasn't uh, what Jesus' purpose was, you see. So Jesus allowed them then to take him in. But he's got an army. So he works his will among the army of heaven. And among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand. This shows his omnipotent power. None can stay his hand or say unto him, what doest thou? Uh, God answers to no man. This shows his sovereignty. God is a sovereign being. God operates based upon his omnipotent power, his omniscience, that is, his all-seeing um, eye, and his omnipresent uh, he's everywhere present, nowhere absent, and he performs and he carries out his will in a sovereign manner and a sovereign way. It'd be sad this morning uh, not to be able to preach to you about the sovereignty of God. You see God's sovereignty in creation. You see God's sovereignty in salvation. You see God's sovereignty in His providence here in this world. Uh, he is. So, if He's not, if He's God, He's got to be sovereign. If He's sovereign, He has to be God. If He's not sovereign, He's not God. That's just what it all boils down to. You see. And that king, who was boastful a short time before, has learned a great lesson and gives one of the most detailed and powerful statements of theology found anywhere in the Word of God when he made that statement in Daniel chapter 4 and verse 35. Now in Jeremiah 23, 23, the Lord himself asked three questions. He says, Is there any that can hide himself in secret places that I cannot see him? What's your answer to that? Now the Lord's going to ask three questions, and he has three implied answers. There's only one answer here. (laughs) Can any man hide himself in secret places? Man man may get behind closed doors. Man might get behind closed gates. Man might hide under his bed. He may lock himself in his closet. It doesn't matter. The Lord still sees him. Can any man hide himself in secret places? then I cannot see him. The answer is, no, he cannot. He says, do not I feel heaven and earth? Yes, he does. That's his omnipresence. You no, know, it's kind of like the man told the little boy, he didn't know how sharp the boy was. He said, I'm going to give you an apple if you'll tell me where God is. The little boy said, I'll give you two if you tell me where he's not. <laughs> so we see who was wise and who wasn't wise, Right? He understood the omnipresence of the Lord. Do not I feel heaven and earth? Yes, I do. See, the answer is implied. He is omniscient. Uh, He's omnipresent. And he's omnipotent. He showed his omnipotence in Matthew 28, 18. When he gave his disciples a second commission. And he tells them that they are to go and teach all nations, baptizing them, etc. I'll mention that in a minute. But before he tells them that, he said, all power is given me in heaven and in earth. Now, not just some power, all power. He has all power in heaven. He has all power on this earth. And then he tells them, go and teach all nations. And I've always thought that was very important. The Lord told them this before he gave them this commission because he'd given them another commission in Matthew chapter 10. In Matthew 10, he tells them to go to the Jews only. Go not among the Gentiles or the Samaritans. He said, but go ye rather to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And he told them what they could expect, how they would be resisted, how they would be opposed, how they could be put in prison, how they could be beaten with many stripes, etc. And that was to the Jews only. But now to his death, burial, and resurrection, he's going to tell those disciples to go and teach all nations. He now has removed the restriction. They preach not only to the Jews, but now they preach to the Gentiles. He removes all restrictions. And before he does, he says, Now all power is given unto me in heaven and also in earth. Go and teach all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, in the name of the Son, in the name of the Holy Spirit, And he says, teaching them to observe all things which I have commanded you, and lo, I go with you all the way to the end of the world. So we see how he starts it and how he ends it. He said, I'm going to go with you all the way to the end of the world. Who said that? The one who got through saying earlier, I got all power in heaven and all power on the earth. I got the power to direct you. I got the power to guide you. I got the power power to encourage you. I got the power to... Uh, remove your fears I got the power to strengthen you I got the power to preserve you I got the power to deliver you and protect you from all that you might face so you now go and teach all nations in Matthew it says go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature so he declares he has the power in heaven he has power, power here right upon the face of this earth now, a recognition that he is Lord of lords and King of kings, that he is Lord in heaven, Lord on earth, God in heaven, God on earth, of things in heaven, possessive things on earth, and has all power in heaven and earth, is a very important connection for you to have in your mind and never forget. Over here in the book of Joshua, chapter 2, you know, last week I spoke to you about Rahab the harlot. I want to go back in that story for a couple of things I didn't mention last Sunday. When those two spies come into the city of Jericho, they wind up going to the house, the lodging place of Rahab. We find that um, the king is notified about these two spies that came in, her, uh, came in the city and came, went into her, her, her house. He's notified of that, so he sends messengers to Rahab demanding that she give them up. Now at this point here, Rahab has to make a very difficult decision. If she gives them up, they're going to be slain. If she doesn't give them up, and she's found out, they're still going to be slain, and she's going to be slain. This is her dilemma. This is her decision. But let's see what the Apostle Paul says about her in Hebrews chapter 11. He says, By faith Rahab perished not with them which believed not, She perished not with them that believed not, because she hid the messengers with peace. The expression with peace tells me that God gave her a calmness that otherwise she would not have had. She made the decision to hide the messengers, and she did it with peace. God gave her a peace. God gave her a calmness. Uh, Can you imagine as she's talking to those messengers how nervous she might would have been? I don't think she was nervous at all. Can you imagine, generally speaking, how nervous you would be knowing your life is at stake, your life is on the line, but God had given her a peace. God had given her something that she wouldn't have had apart from him, you see. Now, in the book of James, chapter 2, you'll find that she is mentioned here as an example of a person with faith demonstrating it by works. And he says, Was not Rahab the harlot also justified by works when she hid the messengers? Notice the same thing. When she hid the messengers and showed them another way out or delivered them, that's what he puts on the end of that. And that's what she will eventually do over here. And then when the actually, the actually takes place, we notice that Joshua says in Joshua chapter 6, when the city of Jericho has been surrounded, the count the plan of God, the walls fall flat, that Joshua gave a command unto his soldiers, they were not to harm Rahab because she had received the messengers. Now, Joshua says, receive the messengers. Paul said, receive the messengers. James says, receive the messengers. All, of them, all this centers around the expression, she hid the messengers. What if she had not hid the messengers? The messengers would have been slain. They could not have returned back to Joshua and gave a report. What would Joshua have thought? Well, my, my spies didn't even return back to me. He wouldn't have got a report if they would have been slain. But he's going to get that report because she hid the messengers, and here's what she said unto them. She says, "I know the Lord has given you the land." Notice, she did not say, "I know the Lord has given you Jericho." She never mentions the word Jericho in her uh, in her conversation with the spies. She never mentions the name of that city. She says, "I know the Lord has given you the land." That means the entire land of Canaan. They had 31 cities and 31 kings. She says, I know the Lord hath given you the land. Of course, if he give had given them the land, that means he had given them the city of Jericho, you see. But she didn't mention Jericho. The Lord has given you the land. And then when she finishes, here's what she says. She says, when we heard of all these things, the hearts of all the inhabitants of the land fainted and melted. She's not just talking about Jericho. Somehow or another, she knows what has happened to all the inhabitants of the land when they heard what? How God had dried up the Red Sea and that God had destroyed those two kings in the wilderness. That's what they heard. It caused all the inhabitants of the land, their hearts to melt and to faint. Then here's how she concluded. She says, I know that your God is the Lord God of heaven above and earth beneath. She knew all those territorial gods weren't gods at all. And she recognized they certainly didn't have a place in heaven, and they really couldn't do anything on this earth. What territorial God could dry out the Red Sea? What territorial God that they had that was lifeless could have killed the two kings, destroyed them in the wilderness? Not one of them could do that. It had to be the God of heaven and the God of earth. That's what she recognized. That's how she came to that understanding and realization that the Lord God of Israel was God in heaven above and God on earth here beneath. When, we have our, when we've been blessed of God to have an experience of grace, you know that where that experience of grace comes from? It comes down from heaven, doesn't it? In the 28th chapter of Genesis, I always enjoy reading this and the experience of Jacob you find that Jacob is fleeing from his brother Esau. And Jacob has fled into the wilderness. And we're told in the 32nd chapter of Deuteronomy that when the Lord found him, he found him in a wasteland, in a desert land, in a waste howling wilderness. He flees into the wilderness. He lays down that night and puts under his head some rocks for a pillow for his head to lay on. And during that night, in a dream, the Lord appears to him and appears to him like this. He says he appeared to him as a ladder that was set on the earth that reached up into heaven. Jacob had a heavenly experience. That ladder was set on the earth and reached all the way right into heaven. And he saw angels ascending and descending upon that ladder. You come to John 151, the New Testament, the Lord Jesus Christ tells Nathanael, he says, you shall see greater things than these. He says, you shall see uh, the angel of God ascending and descending upon the Son of Man. So what's that ladder represent? That ladder represents the Son of Man, the Lord Jesus Christ, who connects heaven with earth. Aren't you glad that's a connection? Aren't you glad that uh, helps you understand when Paul tells Timothy there's one mediator between God and men, the man Christ Jesus? The man Christ Jesus is the connection between heaven and earth, between God the Father and his people here on this earth. We need a mediator. We need a connection, you see. And that ladder here is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ, when Saul of Tarsus was on the Damascus Road, read his experience in Acts chapter 9. What happens? It says the Lord apprehended him. The Lord appeared unto him. And it says there was a, a, a light. You read all three experiences of Saul in the book of Acts. You'll find where this light was brighter than the noonday sun. And it struck Saul of Tarsus down into the dust What of the earth. It said this appeared in heaven and Saul fell to the earth. Paul had a heavenly experience. He had an experience in which he, there was a connection between heaven and between earth. And every time God borns one of his spirit, children of the Spirit of God, they have a heavenly experience. The God of heaven borns them of the Spirit of God while they're here on this earth. He's the only one that can do that. Uh, every one of you that love the Lord here this morning, that believe in God, love the Lord, pray to God, enjoy hearing his word uh, proclaimed. All those are evidences that you've had an experience just like Jacob did. And God found you. He found you in a desert land in a waste howling wilderness when you were not looking for him, were not pursuing him. You were going your own way. In fact, he was fleeing his own brother in great fear when the Lord apprehended him. Saul of Tarsus has letters of authority to go to the city of Damascus to arrest God's people for being disciples and to bring them back to Jerusalem and put them in the prison. It says he hailed them. That's H-A-L-I-N-G, which means he drugged them. He dragged them. Uh, He was brutal with them. And brought him back and put him into prison. But the God of glory apprehended him on the Damascus road. He found Saul in that same desert land, you might say, in a figurative sense. In the book of Isaiah 55, verse 8 and 9, the Lord speaking again through Isaiah said, My ways and my thoughts are not your ways and your thoughts. For as the heavens are high above the earth, so are my ways above your ways, and my thoughts above your thoughts. I don't know how far that is. Do you? I know it's a long ways. (laughs) For as the heavens are above the earth, so are my ways and my thoughts above your ways and your thoughts. God doesn't think like we do. His ways are not our ways. His thoughts are not our thoughts. And he compares it to the distance between the heaven above and the earth right here beneath. It's important for us to get this connection, (laughs) that we have a heavenly connection. Heaven is just as real as earth. Uh, In fact, there's no fantasy in heaven. When these uh, brethren in the church do their fantasy football league, I've been invited to participate. I never have because I'll tell them I don't live in a fantasy world. (laughs) No harm. Uh, (laughs) If they want to do fantasy football, that's fine. (laughs) I know it's enjoyable. They get a good time out of it. But I try not to live in a fantasy world. I try to live in a real world. And heaven is not a fantasy. Heaven is a real place, a literal place. And in heaven, there's a God, my friends, who's Lord of lords and King of kings. He's God in heaven, God on earth, Lord of heaven, Lord on earth, possessor of heaven, possessor on this earth. Heaven is his throne, and this earth right here is his footstool. Let's take a look at Ephesians 3, 14 and 15. Now, this is going to embrace you and me He said, for this cause I bow my knees unto the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, of whom the whole family is named in heaven and earth. The whole family. What family? God's family. The whole family is named in heaven and also in earth. Have you ever heard about the book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, oftentimes referred to as the Lamb's Book of Life? Uh, I'm sure you've heard about that. Well, that's good because there is a Lamb's book of life. There is a book of the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world, a book that has the names of God's people written in there, and those names are written in there before the foundation of the world, before the beginning of time. God Almighty, as the sovereign God of the universe, looked down upon the human race, loved the people out of them, chose them, elected them, named them, and gave them to His Son in a covenant relationship. He says, I bow my knees unto the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. Part of God's family is in heaven today. Do you know that? I know. Let me tell you what's in heaven right now. There's God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. There's the elect angels, the good angels. And by the way, when somebody starts talking about angels, most of time they don't know there's evil angels as well as good angels. When somebody says, oh, he's just a little angel yeah he may be which one is what I'm going to know He'll fit the, well, they all fit the case one or the other. you know what I mean? They all fit the case one way or the other but there's the good angels, the elect angels of God and then there's all the departed souls and spirits of God's children who've left this world and there's at least two bodies in heaven, Enoch and Elijah. So you got the three-in-one Godhead. You got the angels. You got the bodies of Elijah and, and Enoch, and you got the departed souls and spirits of the Lord's children who are already in heaven. My mother, and my father has already preceded me into a place called heaven. I hope to join them some sweet day. All the family of God, he said, I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, whom the whole family is named, both in heaven and also in earth. You remember reading where the Lord sent His seventy out. He sent them out to teach and to preach and to do miracles, and they cast out devils, and they cast out unclean spirits, and they came back on cloud nine, so to speak. I understand that. I think I would have too, if I'd have went out there and God gave me the power and authority to cast an unclean spirit out of somebody. It'd have to make me feel mighty good, mighty good. But here's what the Lord said to them. He says, "Rejoice not." That, you're, that uh, you've been able to cast out these devils and unclean spirits, but rather rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Your names are written in heaven. That's what you need to rejoice in this morning. Your name is written in heaven. God wrote your name in heaven. If your name's been written in heaven, heaven's your home, and you're an heir, join heir with the Lord Jesus Christ. Heaven belongs to you. Oh, for this glorious connection between heaven and earth. Now, these people I'm talking about, whose names are written in heaven. Colossians 1, 20 and 21 says, By the blood of his he hath made peace by the blood of his cross, whereby he has reconciled all things that are in heaven and also on earth. Things that represent people. Things represent the family of God. And by the blood of his cross, he has obtained peace because he has reconciled them. And Ephesians 1, 10 says, For in the fullness of the dispensation of time, God shall gather together in one. All things are in heaven and also on this earth. There is coming a day when God will gather all together in one. He'll gather all the souls and spirits that's in glory. He'll bring them with him. He'll resurrect the bodies, reunite them, and those who are alive shall be translated, and he'll gather them all together in one, all in heaven and all on the earth. Now I close this morning from a song that Moses wrote, recorded in Deuteronomy 32. Now, this is the chapter where Moses is going to say, you know, the Lord is perfect, without God of truth without iniquity, just and right is he. He is the rock, his work is perfect. But notice how it starts out. He says, hear, O ye heavens, and give ear, O ye earth. He addresses this message, this song, to the heavens and to the earth. Obviously, he's talking about the inhabitants of heaven and the inhabitants of this earth. So he says, heaven, you listen. And earth, you give ear. Because I will ascribe greatness unto our God. That's when he goes into uh, saying that the Lord is perfect. His work is perfect. He's the rock. His work is perfect. A God of truth without iniquity. But let me say a little something else. If God wanted to he could also cause his creation that's inanimate to hear. When the Lord Jesus Christ stilled the storm of his disciples on the Sea of Galilee, he said something specifically to the waves and to the wind. He said to the waves and to the wind, be, uh, he said, be still, peace. And the waves and the winds heard that command. They heard it. And the waves immediately subsided, became calm, and the wind immediately quit blowing. Did you know the wind has ears? They have ears for God. certainly does. You know what the Lord said when John the Baptist was baptizing people in the River Jordan? You find where John says, who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring forth therefore fruit meat for repentance. For God is able to cause these rocks right here to cry out. God can speak to rocks and cause those rocks to cry out if he so desired to do so and praise him. So he says, hear, O ye heavens, uh, whether it's the inhabitants of heaven, the angels of heaven, or what. Then he says, "And give ear, O earth, because I will ascribe greatness unto thee. Aren't you glad that the good word of God, the gospel of Jesus Christ, the good news and glad tidings, we have it today because we have a heavenly connection. God Almighty is calling earthly men to preach the gospel. Preach the gospel about a sovereign God of the universe. Preach the gospel about a successful Savior by the name of Jesus. Call the man to preach the victorious work of the Lord Jesus Christ calling men to preach that we believe in a resurrected Savior, we believe in a victorious Savior, we believe in a, a risen Savior, a reigning ascended Savior, a reigning Savior, and we believe there's going to be a returning Savior. And God has given this gospel from God Almighty in heaven to earthly men on this earth who are frail and weak within their own cells, but he gives them the calling and the power and the ability to be able to proclaim that word in the power and demonstration of His Spirit to evincing God's people in their hearts. Yes, there's a God in heaven and there's a God on this earth.